It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Hey, thank you, Chuck Denson, the voice you hear at the beginning of each of our podcasts. Mike Vaccaro here. It is in the front row. And behind the scenes, as always, JR Quitman, our creator, producer, and director of the show. And we remind you, we are a CLNS Media Network podcast. Well, we're up to episode 53 of our podcast, and for that, we're sticking with the NFL. And one of the names I know you know, it's a wide receiver, kick returner for the NFL, Don Beebe. But you may not know his story, how he got to the NFL, some of the incredible moments he had with the Buffalo Bills, a year spent with the Carolina Panthers, and winning a Super Bowl championship with the Packers. In fact, his teams were in six Super Bowls. One victory for him, raising that trophy, the Lombardi Trophy for him. So he shares that story with us. Again, how he got to the NFL, his journey through the NFL, and what he's doing now, first as a high school coach, now as a college coach. So much great stuff to get to here. Inspirational stuff as well. It is Don Beebe, former wide receiver and kick returner for the NFL, in episode 53 of In the Front Row. Well, Don, uh, first of all, we appreciate you spending a little time with us now, uh, a coach right now, but we're going to dive into your, your playing days. How's it going coaching-wise, and, and and what's going on right now uh, uh, on the college coaching level for you? Well, we're obviously heavy into recruiting right now. Um, our season ended in the middle of December, um, and as soon as the season's over, you're on the bus ride home and you're recruiting. <laughs> it goes that quick, uh, and yeah. that will go all the way well, – we, we could pick up recruits as late as June and July. So, but most of them come in, you know, right around this time. So this is a very busy time for us recruiting. Yeah. And recruiting is a never ending cycle for sure. Yeah. Well, let's get into your playing days. And uh, I'm sure you use that a little bit as your motivation, your recruiting pitch to, to where you came from as a, an athlete. And, and let's start there. You're, you're from Illinois, uh, grew up uh, in Caneville, Illinois, playing multiple sports Tell us about those sports and and how big sports were in your upbringing as a, you know a young athlete, a young person as well. Sure. So, yeah, when I was a little kid, um, you know, my mom and dad were not um, sports minded at all in the sense of they didn't play any sports when they were in high school. Uh, but their kids, all five of us, two older sisters, two younger brothers, were all athletic kids that loved to play sports. Um, all I remember doing was I was a basketball junkie. Um, matter of fact, my junior in high school, I didn't even want to go out for football. My dad forced me. He said, either you're going out for football or you're going out for cross country. And I can't run more than 40 yards. So I'm stuck with this football thing. And, um, and thank goodness for smart, smart dads. Right. And, and young men that were young boys that were willing to listen. Um, so I did, I went out my junior football, hated it. Uh, was forced to get my senior year and it was my senior year that I fell in love with it. Uh, but as a very young kid, I remember going five, six, seven years old kid. I, that's all I did was play sports outside. Um, you know, nowadays these kids twiddle on twiddle their thumbs playing all Madden all day. Uh, man, we all we did was play outside. Um, and and so for me, I developed these skills and love for sport. Um, that it was my senior year that I fell in love with football because of, of a new high school coach that's now actually on my staff. I brought him out of retirement, Joe Thorgensen, Hall of Fame coach. Um, and I, I knew I wanted to play in the National Football League at that time. I didn't tell anybody that, but I just kind of felt like, like um, it was laid on my heart. I'm a man of faith. I've, I've known nothing but my, my faith throughout my whole life, uh, and I just felt led to, to play this crazy game called football, and, boy, the, the path was rocky but amazing. 
and uh, God just kept opening doors, as you'll hear probably here soon. So the sport didn't change, but as you said, the coach did as well. That, that's got to be something that lives with you as you're a coach now, I would think. Yeah, that's a great co- that's a great comment, Mike, because it is something that has stuck with me. Um, I've I've been very fortunate to have great coaches in my life: Hall of Fame High School, Hall of Fame College, Hall of Fame NFL, and Coach Levy. And um, and I, if I was smart enough, it was to learn from people smarter than me. And I just took a lot of notes here and wrote them down. And um, and so I, I learned how to win the right way. Um, and I've been around just great human beings that that really knew how to interact and communicate and just love their guys. And it wasn't a direct path for you either, right? You went from high school, you were a three-sport athlete there, and, and a couple of stops on the college level. Take us through your, your journey from you know college you know, what took place before you went to back to college and went to the NFL, eventually drafted by the Bills? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to kind of give you a reader's digest because it would take an hour to tell you. But, uh, it, it, I, you know, I bebopped around a lot of schools. I only played two years of college football, one at Western Illinois, one at Shadron State, an NAI Division II school at that time. Uh, and now it's a D2 NAI or a NCAA Division II. Uh, and then I was the Bills' first pick in the, in the 1989 draft. But here's how, here's how it all happened. Uh, when I graduated from high school in 83, uh, I went to Western Illinois the first time and I went through a two week camp, lost 21 pounds. I just wasn't ready for college. I was homesick. I was girl sick. Uh, I met this girl in kindergarten that I fell in love with. We started dating junior in high school. She's now my wife of four kids. She's the greatest woman ever, ever created. Thank you, Lord. And, um, and I, I left after the two weeks, went back home, enrolled in Aurora University, Ironically, here I am 30 some, 40 some years later coaching football here, but I played basketball there one year uh, and then and then dropped out completely. Started working construction, uh, worked construction for three years. And it was 19, it was May of 1986. And I felt, I felt you know, this presence of, you know, that, that I, I just know it was the Lord telling me to go back and play football, go back and play football. And I was like, how do I do that? I mean, nobody's, I haven't talked to anybody in three years about college football. And then the doors just start opening up. Uh, the first door that I tried to walk through, because it was, I was talked into it from construction friends of mine, you know, how men work, they just start pounding nails and they think they're all talk about their glory days and how good they were. Uh, and they talked me into going, trying out for Chicago bears in May of 1986, believe it or not. Now, if you remember, they just won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Okay. So here, and I grew up a Bear fan, and this is why I was talked into it. And you talk about naive. Sure. I drove up to Lake Forest from Aurora, Illinois, with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, Diana. And, um, and I'm sitting up there, and I'm watching Lou Barnes, Dennis McKinnon, Willie Galt, uh, Walter Payton, Jim McMahon. And I knew who Bill Tobin was. Bill Tobin was the general manager of Chicago Bears at that time. And he was two rows behind me. And I was like, wow, what an opportunity. I'll just go up and ask Bill and see if I can get a tryout. <laughs> How stupid, right? So I went up there and I said, I said, Mr. Tobin, what, what would it take to get a tryout with the Bears? And he he didn't even look at me. He kept writing on a sheet of paper. He said, we don't take kids off the street. That's all he said. And I was like, okay, well, that was kind of strange. <laughs> uh, he didn't even look at me. But I, I knew at the fastest times where I knew what Willie Galt was running in the 40, but I had never been timed at this time. Uh, in the 40s. So I had no idea. So I just threw out a number. I said, well, what if I could run a 4-2 or 4-3? So he does look at me now and he says, son, if you could really run that fast, you'd already be in our camp. And that was it. 
That was my conversation with the Chicago Bears. So I left dejected. I had no idea where I was going to turn. One month later, uh, the phone rang in my house. And this is back when they had rotary phones, okay, <laughs> on the wall. Uh, and I picked it up. And uh, it was the uh, Western Illinois coach uh, called me back. And think about this. And there's a lot of things that I'm going to have you really ponder about uh, because it just doesn't happen this way. Uh, why did Western Illinois, first of all, they were mad I left. Why did they call me one year after? They never did. Why did they call me two years later? They never did. Why would they call me three years later? I mean, think about that. I mean, I just look at this and I said, this God, this God's hands prints all over. I'm a college coach now. I recruit. If a kid I recruited came, played for the fall camp and left, I would wish him well, but I would probably never call him again to, hey, would you come back? Especially three years later, I would have forgot his name, let alone recruit him. Um, and so here I am. They call me and say, hey, would you ever come back to Western Illinois? And I said, golly, my, what an answer to prayer. I would love to come back. So I did. I transferred back there from Aurora University because, you know, because I even though it was three years later um, and I went through the fall camp, 1986, OK, May, uh, August of 86. I went through the two week camp again. And then the rules and regulations guy, James McKinney, brings me into his office, He says, Don, you're four and a half credit hours short of being a transfer student. I threw my hands up. I was like, well, why did we kind of figure this out beforehand, guys? I mean, I, I don't know the rules of the NCAA. Um, and so I was basically had to leave the school, go back to Wabansi Junior College, pick up four and a half credits, but I took 12 or 15 hours, then transfer back now in the spring of 1987. And when they first called me in June of 86, they said, we'd love to have you back. But however, your clock has was already started. So you only got two years left. Well, now that I had to go back in, in the fall, now I got one year left, okay, to play college football and a passion and dream to play in the National Football League. You talk about crazy. Uh, but that was my dream. OK. And so I kept pursuing it and never giving up. So I got the transfer credit hours, transferred back in the spring of 87 and uh, things were going well. I went through spring ball. I landed up getting the starting job, which is a miracle anyway, that a guy just never played it down. He's going to be the starter. Uh, but here's here's what's really cool is my NFL career started before I ever played it down in, in college football. And they're like, how is that even possible? Well, I'm going to tell you how is I was in math class one day and I had a tank top, jean shorts and uh, sandals on, you know, usual college attire. And I'm walking uh, down from the math class and I always walked around Western Hall. Western Hall is where the indoor track was and the coaches offices and everything like that. But I would always walk around the building to go back to Wetzel Hall, my dorm room, eat lunch and then go to my next class. But this day, for whatever reason, I happened to walk into the gym. I walk into the gym I don't remember the reason why, but I, I saw guys that were going to be seniors running the 40 yard dash for NFL scouts. You know, I'm like, well, I'm going to be a senior. Okay. How come I wasn't invited? Uh, and so I went up and asked my coach, he said, well, you know, Don, you're not on any film and they don't even know who you are and blah, blah, blah. And I said, man, coach, I would really like to run. He's like, Donnie, man, you're, you know, and I was like, please coach, I would love to, I was pleading with the guy. Right. <laughs> so he goes down, he goes, let me ask this Dallas scout. So he goes down there and, you know, the, the, he's got this big shirt on with a star in his chest and stopwatches all around his neck. And, and you can see, you know, 40, 50 yards away, the guy says, yeah, who cares? Let him run. So this was going to be the first time I ever ran a 40. Uh, and so the coach comes back. He said, yeah, just get in line and, and, and run. I said, coach, I got one other problem. He goes, what? I said, can I warm up? Can I go back to Wetzel Hall, get my running shoes? <laughs> he goes, no, flip off your sandals, get in line and no warm up, run. Wow. Okay. So I did. 
So I got in line and if you could have heard me pitter patter on the track, it was quite a scene, but I ran that thing barefooted. And when I got done, that star on the chest was on a beeline for me. And if you ever been to pro days before, those guys don't talk to really any players. They converse amongst themselves, but they really don't engage in the guys. But this guy, he wanted to know something. So he came right up to me and he says, what is your name? I go, Don Beebe, Don Beebe, Don Beebe. What, what number are you on film? I said, I'm a fifth year senior. I've never played before. He laughed at me. He goes, I've never seen that before. In 21 years, I've been doing this. I've never seen this before. And he said, not only that, it's the fastest time I've ever recorded a kid. And he showed me it was a 4-3-2. And I looked at him and I said, is that good? <laughs> and he kind of <laughs> laughed. Uh, and he says, no, that's pretty good. So my, he said, well, we're going to keep our eye on you. And that's why I say my NFL career actually started before ever playing a down of college football. And that's the truth. And so I went on, had a good year at Western. And after that year was over, um, I got some form letters. You know, you might be a, a free agent. Nobody, there's no way you're going to get drafted. Um, and so an agent, I didn't know what an agent was at that time. Uh, but I had a decision to make. You know, was I going to try to to uh, play at an NAI level, which I had uh, one or two years left to play at the NAI because they go by semesters, not years. Or are you going to enter the draft? So I went home for Christmas break because you get about three weeks over Christmas break at college. I went to check out NAI schools and I'm looking at, you know, local schools. You know, I'm from Aurora and Benedictine, who's now my our, our tribal. Go figure. Right. Uh, Benedictine was a school that really wanted me. They found out that I was interested uh, in transferring to an NAI school. They invited me over. I talked to them. They had a quarterback that was really good as a junior through close to 3000 yards. They said I was going to be the starting X receiver day one. They knew I had NFL teams already looking at me um, and stuff of that nature. And I was like, how how good this looked from a worldly perspective. I was engaged to be married. I could have commuted out of home, saved a lot of money. God said no. And I was like, no, I was like, this is perfect. Right. And, and I just felt uncomfortable with it. So I told them, no, I'm not going to. But I had three weeks left to make my decision because I had to transfer. Right. So I was just praying to the Lord, give me a quick, quick answer here. Sure enough, a few days later, the phone rang again in the kitchen. I picked it up and he says, this is Don. And I said, yeah, this is, or I actually said Donnie. And he says, hey, this is Brad Smith. I said, and now he recruited me for when he was West, at Western Illinois in 1983 when I was in high school. He was the original recruiter that brought me to Western the first time. And this is what, four years later, almost. And he said, hey, I hear you're looking for an NAI school. I said, and, and I got real excited. I said, are you at one? He goes, yes, I am. I'm at Shadron State. I said, Shiv, what? He goes, Shadron State, it's in Nebraska. I said, Nebraska? I'll be honest with you the guys. I was just, you know, I'm a 20, 21-year-old kid at this time. I knew Nebraska was West. I'd never been to Iowa, let alone Nebraska. So he goes, go get your Atlas. So I went out to my dad's truck, got the Atlas, you know, flipping through the Atlas, go to Nebraska. I'm looking around Omaha, Lincoln, you know, movie theaters, restaurants, people. No, 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 no the Northwest corner, all the way in the other end, south of Mount Rushmore, about two, two hours south of Mount Rushmore, in the most remote area in the country. Uh, and I was like, coach, there ain't no way I'm going there. It's 15 hours away from home. I'm engaged to be married. I can't go out there. He goes, pray about it. And I was like, oh God. So I did. And I felt real comfortable. Why? I have no idea. I do now, but I didn't then. I, and, and so I had to try to get it out. And I said, coach, would you come out to Chicago area, meet with my fiance, my mom and dad and me, uh, thinking that he wouldn't do it. Uh, he drove out. As soon as he hung up, he drove out. Okay. Uh, 15 hours. He was there the next day. We sat down. We we met. And I had a lot of questions. And I said, 
Coach Smith, I said, I really like you. However, do you have a what were your what was your record? Are you guys any good? He goes, Well, Donnie, he says, you know, we were one and eight last year, but it's my first year. We're gonna be we got some guys coming back, we'll be pretty good. Okay, strike one. He goes, I go, do you have a quarterback? He goes, Well, he graduated last year, but we got this freshman coming up from Converse, Texas. His name's Stu Perez. He was five seven. <laughs> strike two. I said, I'm just gonna cut through the chase. In my mind, I said, Have you ever had an NFL guy come from Shadden? I mean, has there ever been an NFL guy play from Shattern? He goes, yeah, Dub Miller did in 1932. I was like, strike three. I was like, coach, there ain't no way I'm coming out there. And and sure enough, three days later, I made a decision to go to Shattern. Who would have thought the mecca of the NFL, right? Wow. <laughs> so I go out there, had a great year, got some form letters again. And I know I'm talking a long time, so you guys can interrupt me anytime here. But um, I told you the long story. Uh <laughs> So I, it's I, a good one, but it's a good yeah, one. Yeah. So I, I get a form letters again. Hey, you know, we like what you can do. You had a great year at Shad. It was Shattering. I mean, who's going to draft me out of Shattering, right? So then a guy by the name of Bill Giles, and Bill Giles was a combine scout. He wasn't a scout for one team specifically. His, he had the Midwest region, and he had to go find and help find the top 300 players in all of the country, all the D1 schools. How in the world is a guy from Shattering, Nebraska, going to get invited to the big show in Indy, right? That's impossible. I mean, think of those odds. Uh, and sure enough, he came in uh, to his dying day. He never told me what I ran the 40 in, but he did say at the end of the workout, and he had been doing it at that time, I think 30 some years. Uh, and he's obviously, he's not, not here anymore. Um, he said, Don, he said, this is the greatest workout I've ever put a kid through. I don't care if you're at Shadron. This is the greatest workout. I've ever seen in a kid. He says, I'm going to give them my highest recommendation to get you into this combine. You need to be seen. I was like, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, sure enough, two weeks later, I get a form letter or a letter stating, dear Don Beebe, uh, you've been invited to the 1989 uh, February combine in Indianapolis. And then it went on to list all these things. And so I, I, I got to go to the combine um, and I went in there. You talk about naive, man. Oh man. I, I mean, I literally had a backpack my old ASIC fishing shoes on my feet that I wore into the building and the right sole of the one shoe was half unglued. So when I walk, it flopped. And when I ran, it really flopped. And so I remember getting to my room and my roommate was Mike Barber from Marshall. Mm. And I get in there, we start chatting a little bit and then the door knocks. I go over to open the door and there's the concierge from the Crown Plaza, which is right across the street from the Hoosier Dome. And, uh, and these are from Mike Barber. They were Nike shoe boxes. And I was like, oh, okay. So I took them over to Mike. I said, what are those? He goes, well, my agent sent me these shoes. I said, agent? I go, well, what do you mean agent? He goes, you don't have an agent? I said, no, I didn't know I needed an agent. He said, man, you might be the only dude here that doesn't even have an agent. I was like, okay, well, that doesn't solve me any issues. I said, what are those? He goes, I'm going to run these in the 40 tomorrow. And he pulled them out and there's these lime green, you know, track shoes and they were size 12. He says, well, you can have my other pair. I said, I'm a nine and a half. It'd be like Bozo Circus running around these things, right? So I chose to. Uh, I was going to rip the sole off or I was going to try to find a rubber band or I was going to try to find some glue. I couldn't find any of it. So I ran in a flopping fishing shoe. Now, at that point in time, just so you know, I had no idea what I ran because media couldn't get in the dome. Nobody knew. Nobody would tell you what you ran. Right. Well, it must have been pretty fast uh, because when I got back to Shadron, the L.A. Raiders and the Green Bay Packers were literally on my doorstep and I had to do 21 personal workouts. I mean, these guys now they'll have one and they're all there, right? I had to do 21 personal workouts. And and years and years later, I found out what I ran. And how did it, how did that happen? I was I 
I had a business called House of Speed, training athletes, blah, blah, blah. It was 2002, I believe it was. I was at the uh, combine in Indy uh, watching the guys that I was training. And I'm sitting in a box with Tony Dungy and uh, Bill Polian. Bill Polian, obviously, was the general manager of the Buffalo Bills who drafted me. And then he was a Buffalo or uh, Indianapolis coach, GM, while he was sitting with Tony uh, at that time. And he goes, Beebs, he goes, you know, you still hold the record, right? I go, record? He goes, yeah, you ran a, you and Dion ran a 4.25 in 1989. That record still holds. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I'm just finding that out now. And so I didn't, I didn't realize what I ran a 4.25 in a floppy fishing shoe. And, um, uh, and that record stood for 17 years until Chris Johnson broke it. And then now a guy by the name of Dodd, who I don't know who that is, uh, holds a record at 4.22. Why do I say that? I say that because that had to happen. I mean, looking like me coming from Shadron at a 5'10 guy or 5'11 guy walking into the Crown Plaza and into the RC or uh, Hoosier Dome running a 4'25. I mean, think about those odds now. That's crazy. So and, my life changed. And the Dion that you mentioned is, is Dion Sanders. Dion Sanders. Now it's Coach Prime, the, the coach yeah. of the Colorado Buffaloes. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you and Dion Sanders at the time had, had the fastest 40 times. So, so what did that do in, in really getting your name out there? eventually being drafted by the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. So, I mean, draft day came along uh, and I knew I was going to go because I had an agent now. <laughs> um, I was going to go between the second and fourth round. That's what I was told. Um, I, I wasn't nervous. I see these guys get nervous. I wasn't nervous at all. I had no expectations whatsoever. I just knew that God had a place for me. Uh, and so I sat on that couch. And then at the end of the day, the phone rang um, in, on day one and it was Coach Levy. And he says, Don, he says, I just want you to know, we just drafted you as our first pick in the third round. And I just, I mean, I re my reaction was like, it was awesome. Let's get to work, you know. Um, and they flew me out the next day and had to do a press conference and all that. So it was like I went from some complete unknown to a first pick. And just, and if, and I, and if I was to look back on it now, to I couldn't have picked a better place. I mean, think about it. We had Hall of Famers James Lofton and Andre Reed, and I was the third guy really in, in that K-Gun offense. But I could have gone somewhere else. I mean, this was back now, and you guys know, the K-Gun offense is really kind of the innovators of the three-receiver set. And now it's, the, you know, three, four, five-receiver sets and, you know, and stuff of that nature. But, you know, I could have gone an offense that was just a two-receiver set, which all of them were, really, except Buffalo, except on third downs. And, um, and, and it really was, I couldn't have picked a better place. Play with Jim Kelly and all those guys in Buffalo. Uh, we had something special and the fans are the best fans. I mean, they're incredible people. And to see what just happened last Sunday was heartbreaking. That's for sure. Cause I, those fans deserve a Super Bowl championship, man. If anybody does, they do. And one day they'll get it. But it, it was a time of my life, guys, Buffalo, those six years there were something special. Yeah, you're talking about Bill's Mafia, the way they support that team. And obviously, you, you mentioned a lot of Hall of Famers there and and four straight Super Bowl appearances. Uh, I mean, did you guys expect to have that kind of result every year when you had all these great players at that time? You know, ironically, yeah, we kind of did expect it. I mean, we had such a, a moxie and aura about us, very confident guys. Um, shoot, in my own family, because I come from a big family. Uh, they were planning that trip, the Super Bowl trip every year in in like September, you know, <laughs> so it was kind of um, it was fun. Gosh, it was fun. And what made it fun was Coach Levy, John Butler was the general manager initially, and then Bill Polian. Uh, those guys made it fun. The, and then the fans, 
you know what I love about Buffalo fans is as a player, you know, a lot of times you go out and they'll want something from you and not Buffalo. Buffalo is you go out and, and they give you something. They're like, they just want to be a part of the family. They want to give you a, you know, whatever it is, a free meal or golf or whatever that is. I mean, they are just very genuine blue collar, some of the nicest people in the world. And, and man, I'll tell you, they, I love Western New York. Absolutely love it. And the guys that we had were second to nobody in the history of sport. It had to kind of compare a little bit to, to maybe Illinois, Nebraska, places you've been to. Obviously, Buffalo, the, the weather plays a role when you're outdoors playing football as well. Was that something that, that you enjoyed and gravitated to? Because it seems like Buffalo and their fans do. No, oh, man, I, I love playing in the snow. I love playing it when I was a kid. Now, however, we did have games that were 33 below. That that was not fun. <laughs> that wasn't fun for anybody. Um, but, you know, for the most of the part, I mean, that was just exceptions to the rule. But I didn't mind. I Actually, my favorite temperature to play game was really about 45 to 50 because uh, it wasn't too hot. So and I was constantly running. So I never got I never. And, and, and in those conditions, you can I felt like I could run a lot faster and a lot longer because I never got tired. Uh, when it was really hot or really cold, uh, then it becomes uh, uh, a little bit more taxing on the body. Forcible appearances, unfortunately, for losses a- as well. You know, how, how does that sit with you? Eventually, you won a championship with with Green Bay, but to get there in that Super Bowl and, and unable to to get those wins was was that a tough stretch? You know, I think it was tough while you're going through it. Um, but I think we all knew that we made, we did something historic, uh, even at the, even during it, we were doing something that was special and then going to four. I, I don't think we knew quite what it has become now. Um, uh, but we've always said that, uh, that team is going to go down in history as one of the greatest teams ever, because you, you did something that nobody's ever done. They're going four in a row. It's just, it's insane. Um, and now you look at all the guys that have gone into the hall of fame off that team and the head coach and the general manager and the owner. I mean, it was a special, it was a special team. And, um, you know, and, and we had our ego guys, but I got to tell you, uh, I mean, I deal with egos from a college perspective perspective and I've, and there's, there's things of being ego and there's ones that are just confident. And you, you know, I think a lot of guys that may have been misconstrued as an ego guy really was just a confident guy. Uh, they were all team guys. I mean, we all got along really well, even though we went through a stage in 89 of the bickering bills. Well, that was family, you know, and there's Jim and, and Thurman going at it. I mean, they do that still, but it, it, they love each other. I mean, those guys are like brothers. I mean, we're all like, like that. When we get together, it's like never missing a beat. Um, and it, for example, when I scored a touchdown, who was usually the first one there to congratulate me? Thurman. I mean, he had no need to go over there, and, but he was, he, was, he was excited for me as he was for him scoring a touchdown. A uh, very humble guy when it came to touch, scoring touchdowns. He just wanted to win. Same thing with all those guys, uh, all the stars. Jim Kelly, one of the most loyal people I've ever met. And I mean it. I mean, for some of the things that he's done for me and a lot of people, uh, most people would never do from, from his superstar status. One of the most loyal people you will ever meet. And and I could tell you stories of, about stuff of, that he's done, uh, but he's just a, they all are. We just had a lot of great guys playing at that on that team. Yeah, Hall of Famers as players, it seems like as people as well, which is great to see. And again, four straight. The first one, I know you were injured at Super Bowl twenty-five, yeah. but it ends with the Scott Norwood kick wide right. Was that 
friendship tested at that time? I mean, again, you, as you said, everybody was, you know, loved everybody, but, but how do you deal with a, a situation like that? Not just missing a kick, but missing a kick in the Super Bowl that, that could have been a victory for you guys. Yeah, I think you, I think you gave a good point and only solidifies why we were so good is because not one guy, not one guy on that team had one second of blaming Scotty. No way. Our defense couldn't stop anybody. Our offense could have played better. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of times that, you know, you could point to any, any day. He just, he just happened to be on the spotlight, but what people don't realize either. And Frank Reich was my roommate. So I got a little bit of the inside story on this, that when he was in pregame kicking the ball, he was hooking it. It was, it was coming in like a little bit of a draw uh, and, and he hitting it good and hit nailing every one of them. So when he got into that moment and when it first left his foot and it was a little to the outside, Frank even told me, he says, Beebs, there's no doubt in my mind that was going in. He hit that exactly where he wanted to hit it, exactly how he was doing it in the pregame. For whatever reason, it didn't hook this time. But he hit a great kick. And uh, and the things that he had to experience from that, how yeah. sad. I'll be honest with you, that was really sad. Scotty Norwood is one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet. And, uh, and I can assure you, not one player said one negative thing to him. Exactly the opposite. We love that guy. And we still do. And, um, and anybody could have, you know, made a play during the course of that game that could have changed things. So, it, you know, just having to fall on Scotty at the very last second. Yeah. Lucky for him. It was a time of without social media before social media. Yeah. Uh, again, another big moment. Your big moment is uh, in the Super Bowl against uh, Dallas, uh, Super Bowl 27. You guys are losing that game. Leon Lett picks up that fumble. You track him down. Take us through that moment. Where were you when you started and, and what did you think you were going to do? Because Leon Lett, 6'6", 290, 5'11", 185 for you. What did you think you were going to do <laughs> if you tracked him down? Yeah. Well, I'm going I'm to give you two different uh, stories on this. The first one would be, yeah, I was, down, I was running a fly pattern down the left side of the field. Uh, you know, we're just trying to run a no huddle and score, right, and save face. And we were down 52 to 17, obviously. And there's a, you know, four or five minutes left in the game. And, and I turn and I and I look. So I I was we weren't even on the camera of the Bills uh, side view. So nobody really knows how far I was. We know it was a minimum of 30 to 35 away. So I turned and looked and I saw automatically Frank moving up into the pocket. The ball came out really quick and I stopped. I saw Leon pick it up and I just started going. And I started running and I'm running right in front of the Dallas bench, which yeah, at that time I I didn't know that. I mean, those thoughts don't go good. My what did go through my head was how am I going to tackle this 300 pound man? <laughs> I was seriously, I was going to, I mean, I was going to literally jump on this guy's back. I was going to jump on Leon's back. He would have rolled me right through the back of the end zone. It would have became a football folly most likely. Okay. But he, he put the ball out with about eight to nine yards ago. He put the ball out. Um, and from then my whole reaction, you can see it just went right to the ball and I knocked the ball out of his hands. And I tell people that how you react to something during the course of a game uh truly is what your character is inside. You know, if we, as people, if we had time to think about it, right. I mean, five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, a day, a week, we're all going to come pretty much to the right conclusion of the right decision to make. But when you react to something, that's your true character. And I, and I tell the guys that I coach and the guys that I've trained and been through all these years of doing that, you know, character is always revealed in every game. Marv Levy used to say that all the time. And boy, was he right. And here's the inside story for me personally is it was, an you know, when growing up in the backyard, Pasadena was my place. 
I want Fred Bolitnikoff catching a pass from Kenny Stable in the Super Bowl Pasadena, right? I mean, that was a dream. Yeah. And then when I became in high school and then collegiately, I mean, I, I wanted to play in Pasadena. And then I get in the league. So here I'm living my dream as a 10-year-old boy, right? Uh, I remember going out an hour before the game. It was a beautiful 70-degree day, uh, Southern California, not a no wind, nothing. Just a perfect day. I take I'm wearing my his gain, your your his pain, your gain shirt under my pads, which I always did. And I had my game pants on my game shoes. And I went to the 50 yard line and I knelt and took in and said a prayer. And it was one of those prayers that I'll never forget. And I just said, God, let me glorify your name more than ever before, more than mine. This is all about you today. Every time I played, I said that, but this one really kind of resonated. Selfishly speaking, guys, I got up from that prayer and I'm telling you, there was no doubt in my mind I was winning the game at the end of the end of the game with a one handed stab J.J. Jefferson catch <laughs> to win the Super Bowl for Buffalo. That was that's how I felt. I mean, I felt that good. Uh, but no, God gave me Leon let play in a blowout. And why do I say that? Because I stand on stages and I public speak all over the country. And if I'm standing on these stages and I tell them of the story of winning the Super Bowl in the Buffalo uniform with a one-handed stab to, you know, in the back of the end zone, who can relate to that? Nobody. Yeah. But how many people can relate to never giving up? Leon Lett. Everybody. And that's how God works. And so I, I'm, I'm honored to be uh, that guy that made that play and used that play to glorify him and not me and tell people and, and, and inspire people to never give up. There's always an option. There's always hope. Um, and boy, through the whole pandemic that we just came through the last few years, man, I've seen so many kids giving up, man. It's just sad. And I just want to, if I could just give them hope, that play resonates with people. Uh, and, and guys, I can't tell you how many times we are 30 years later now, and we're still talking about this crazy play. Um, but yet I'm, I'm proud of that. Yeah, and, and you should be because, like you said, you know that's what people can relate to. But still, that being the case, it has surprised you how much you know notoriety that play has gotten through the years. And and you know, again, you're associated with that maybe more than anything else in, in your career at times. Yeah. Oh yeah. That it, it it ultimately surprises me big time. I mean, watch my reaction after the play. I go down. His knee goes down into my helmet, uh, and I get up. I adjust my face mask. I'm not happy. I mean, I'm not happy. I'm getting, we're getting blown out. I, I literally never thought about what just happened from a, from so many other people's perspective, from my perspective, I was not happy. And the first time that it actually meant something. And I was like, what <laughs> was when I got into the locker room and Ralph Wilson, the owner came in and he usually comes in and he, you know, he talks to some guys, but, but I mean, he was on a beeline for me. I mean, I was sitting there, uh, you know, taking my shoes off and, and he walked right over to me past everybody else, went right to me. And he said, son, he didn't call me number 82 or Don or anything like that. He said, son, he said, son, you showed me what Buffalo is all about. You showed everybody in America what Buffalo's all about. Never giving up. And I and I thought to myself, well, it meant something to him, <laughs> you know, and then I was asked to go down to the media to do the media thing. I was like, man, why, why take Jim down there? I don't want to go down there, you know? So I was like, yeah, I'll go down there. And it was packed. I mean, there were so many mics around my thing. I was like, why are people gathering around me? They all wanted to talk about why. Why would you make this play? And so I just started sharing with them how I was brought up, my mom and dad, my faith. I mean, all these things. And it just was an incredible. And it has never stopped, guys. 
here we are. And this is the honest truth. 30 years later, roughly. And I still get fan mail letters either at Aurora University or at Aurora Christian was a high school coach for so many years or at at the business house of speed or at, at my home every day. Every day I'm leading it. I'm getting at least one to three to five letters from somebody around the country saying they want something signed. Sure. But but it's, but they'll always say, gosh, what a great play that Leon let play was meant so much to me and blah, blah, blah. And I was like crazy at one bill's drive. I used to get boxes. I mean, big boxes, hundreds and hundreds of family letters every single day for months after that Super Bowl. And I kept about 20 to 30 of them that really ones that were just heart heart-wrenching stories. You know, I'm not going to go into those, but, uh, and I still got that box of about 20 to 30 of those letters. No, it's, it's incredible. Again, uh, one play, but uh, such a significance and, and affected so many people. Um, so again, you know, your time there, the four Super Bowls, and then eventually your time ends. You spent one year with the Panthers. You were with there with some other Bills players in the, the first year of the franchise, and eventually went to, to Green Bay. How'd you get from Carolina to Green Bay and, and, you know, you stayed in the cold weather, but you stayed on a, a pretty good team again with the Packers. Yeah. Well, again, just uh, just an amazing story here. I, you know, I, I didn't want to leave uh, Buffalo, but um, I would love to have ended in Buffalo. Uh, but they were after the fourth Super Bowl, and then we had one more year, and then we didn't even make, you know, the playoffs and such in 94. And so they were kind of dismantling the deal. And that was the year that Carolina was starting. Uh, the franchise and and Marv Levy, as professionally as he brought me into his office, he says, Don, we're going to move in another direction. And I shook his hand, told him I love him and everything like that. And we're still friends. He's 96 years old. We're still friends. Um, but that's kind of a man of character that he is. So I went to Carolina because Bill Polian went down there. He took me, Frank Reich and Pete Metzlars down there. And I was really excited. I mean, I was so gun ho to start a new franchise. I was I was the number one receiver going down. Um, Frank was going to be the quarterback. We were roommates for six years. I'm like, this is, I mean, this is like match made in heaven, right? What a disaster. Uh, you know, the fan base Carolina were awesome. Love Carolina. Love the people down there. We still have some of our best friends that live there. Football wise, it was a disaster. I have a high respect for Dom Capers. I think he's a great man, truly a man of character, very professional. However, the position coaches made it very difficult. Uh, on me and Frank, and and I felt like I'd never played it down, and it was rough. It was really rough. Uh, and so me and Frank, being men of faith and roommates, we would just share, you know, with each other what we're going through and Bible scriptures and praying for each other and all these things. And and um, and so I had a bad attitude, and I tell guys, you know, today, and I even tell raise my four kids this way. You know, there's going to be times that you're not going to feel like you fit in. You're going to have self-pity and, and point fingers and all that stuff. You know what? Look yourself in the mirror. Get yourself off the mat and keep persevering and keep going and let God open and close the doors. OK, it, it's out of your control. So why whine and cry about it? And that's the way I've always kind of lived my life. And initially I was, you know, not in a great place, uh, but eventually I did during the course of the season. And I just went out and I started having great practices and, and stuff of that nature. Statistically, it was awful. Uh, football wise, it was still bad. My circumstances didn't change, but I did, but I did. And, uh, and because of that, where'd God take me the next year, green Bay Packers. And God has a sense of humor. And who did we beat in the NFC, NFC championship game to go to the Super Bowl? The Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and it's funny because Bill Poling came up to me after the game, cause he was still with the Panthers. And he says, I knew you still had it. I knew you still had it. And, uh, cause I statistically had really had my best year in green Bay, uh, in 96, 
and uh, was able to do some great things with that team with a, you know another Hall of Fame quarterback and Hall of Fame players. And, and we had a lot of the same chemistry that we had in, in Buffalo. Uh, obviously, the fan bases are very similar. The Green Bay Packer fans are crazy. Love them. I love going up to Wisconsin. Uh, so I was very fortunate to play on two phenomenal franchises. Uh, I couldn't have picked out two better places to play in my career. You mentioned a lot of Marv Levy. What about Mike Holmgren? What was he like as, as a head coach and what he did to help develop you, like you said, alongside uh, you know Brett yeah. Favre as your quarterback? Yeah, good question, Mike. So M Marv and Mike are two completely different opposite in personalities, okay? Uh, Mike is a very bombastic uh, control, um, wanted to call the plays, person and was always involved in every decision and everything of this nature. So I saw two different perspectives of it. And, and I've learned a lot from both. I will say this, Mike is the, Mike is the, the brightest offensive mind I've ever been around. I, I do a lot of the same things that coach Holmgren did. Uh, he was brilliant. Now he came from Paul Brown of the you know Cleveland Browns that went to Walsh, Bill Walsh out to the 49ers in this West coast offense concept. And then Mike, you know, took it to Green Bay and now Andy Reid and Doug and all these guys are, you know, doing this stuff. But, um, but man, I was very fortunate to play under Coach Holmgren. Uh, my coaching styles are a real good mix. My mentality and who I am from a personal uh, is more like Coach Levy, but my stickler to detail and offensive minded stuff comes from Coach Holmgren. Um, and, and so I was very fortunate to play for two just outstanding men, outstanding coaches, my wideout coaches. Good night. I had two of the greatest wideout coaches in the history of the NFL. Charlie Joyner, who played 18 years at San Diego Chargers, was my wideout coach for four years in Buffalo. And then I go to uh, um, the um, Green Bay Packers, and Sherm Lewis was the wideout coach for Jay Rice in the 49ers, and he was the offensive coordinator. But I learned a lot from Sherm in, the, in our video of running routes and the angles and, and all this stuff. So um, I was very fortunate, guys, to play for a lot of great-minded coaches. Yeah, Super Bowl thirty-one uh, victory for you guys with the Packers. You, you beat the Patriots. Drew Bledsoe, they had the uh, quarterback at the time, not uh, uh, Tom Brady just yet. But then you, you went to another Super Bowl, lost to the Broncos. Six Super Bowls overall that you played in, and won a championship and one. I mean, what does it say? Again, just getting there is so difficult. But to to be a member of six Super Bowl teams, yeah. that's, that's incredible, especially your backstory and where you came from. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was actually the first guy in NFL history to be on six Super Bowl teams. Mike Lotus is the first guy to ever play in six Super Bowls because I was hurt. And then obviously Thomas shattered all those records. So <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. Um, yeah, I was very uh, I was very blessed. I mean, guys, I played nine years, went to six Super Bowls. Uh, the you know, those those percentages are crazy. Uh, Charlie Joyner played 18 years, never even sniffed in Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly he should have, you know, and he had one of the greats in Dan Fouts that he played with. So for me, um, I, I'm just blessed. Uh, I just want to use my platform as a former player today to pay it forward and and to help kids that are struggling. Uh, I could have gone and coached in the National Football League 2005 when Marv Levy went back to be the general manager of the Chicago or uh, uh, the Buffalo Bills, um, he called me and he asked me if I would go coach. I, and I just finished my first year in high school coaching. And uh, he asked me if I would go back and, and coach with him uh, with the Buffalo Bills. 
And this was like, you know, 930 at night. And I'll never forget the call. And I was like, coach, man, first of all, I'm honored that you even asked me. Um, but I'm, my heart is at Aurora Christian. I was a volunteer coach for at Aurora Christian for 14 years and uh, never paid a dime. This is a school the first year. They had 17 kids in the whole program, freshman through senior year. They had no football field. They had no weight room. It was a bad news bears on steroids. <laughs> and uh, and we were able to do some amazing things. We went to the quarterfinals, seven of the 10, semifinals, five of the 10, going to three state championships, winning two of them with a bunch of innocent kids. Now I'm at AU and we're doing some great things at AU and I'm really excited about where we're coming AU. And I can honestly say this, this would have been my 17th year if I would have went no five, this would have been my 17th year, probably coaching the National Football League. Who knows where that path would have went? I look at Doug Peterson because we used to talk and we were roommates when we were in Green Bay and he was a high school coach. And, and I see him now. Won a Super Bowl, uh, just had another great year with the Jacksonville Jaguars. That I could have done that. Yeah, there's no question. But, you know, that wasn't my calling. And I can honestly say I've enjoyed these last 20 some years coaching innocent kids at at, an, at a really small Christian, private Christian school, and now at a, at a Division three school at Aurora University, I am having the time of my life. I would have never wanted to change any of it. And I'm exactly where, I always believe if you're right where God wants you to be, and every day is a good day. I love my, I love my life. I love my job. Well, that's great because a lot of people can't say that. Like yeah. I said, you're right where you need to be. And, and for nine years, you were where you need to be in the NFL. What a, a career. Again, we mentioned the Leon Lett play. You had a game with four touchdowns against the Steelers. Your first pass that you caught was yeah. a touchdown. You had a touchdown, the comeback win against the Oilers off of, you know, from Frank Reich and, and again, the Super Bowl. Is there one play? Again, we talked about the Leon Lett play, but are there other moments in your career when you sit back and even you talk to the, your young players now that, that you kind of, you know, gloat a little bit or talk a little bit about yourself and, and some of the great moments you had during your time? Yeah. I think, you know, the, the most euphoric feeling that I've ever had as a player, because I've had several as a coach, uh, as a as a player, most people would think, you know, win the Super Bowl. That was a great moment. It really was. And I'll be honest with you, my thoughts when we won the Super Bowl, when I'm standing in the field and I'm celebrating with my wife and kids and teammates, went back to Buffalo. I was like, man, why me? I felt almost guilty. I was like, why are not all my friends from Buffalo and the fans and, the you know, Marv and all those guys? I mean, they deserved it more than I did, right? Uh, but it was me. But the most euphoric feeling that I had that, you you know, you just get emotional and you can't even control your your emotions was was exactly what you just said, Mike. The first pass that ever went my way. Think about this is I was, you know, we know I was a third round pick and I didn't play the first or second games. And and Jim went to Marv on Tuesday, our day off before the third game which was going to be on a Saturday afternoon nationally televised game in the Hoos or Astrodome against the Houston Oilers. Right. And he says, we drafted BB. He's not even playing. Let's I want him on the field. So they cut Chris Burkett that, that day right there. And I became the third receiver behind Andre Reed and flip Johnson at that time. And then I was the third guy. So I call my family, I'm going to play and it's on national. I mean, this is going to be amazing. We had no idea what was going to happen. Okay. So then it, we get in the dome and the first time I, I get in the huddle. It's a run play. Okay, no problem. So I'm running out the line of scrimmage, and Chris Dishman, who's the corner for the Houston Oilers at that time, he gets right up on my face, and he's talking trash. He says, he goes, come on, white boy. He says, I want to I see some of this speed, man. I want to see how fast you really are. And I'm like, I was like, whoa, whoa, man. I was scared <laughs> to death. You know, now, my, he was just being fun. 
And, you know, and, and he wasn't being a jerk about it at all. He's a great guy and a really good corner played a long, long time, but I was scared to death. Okay. So it was a run. So next play, next third down, I come back out and, um, and this time I'm supposed to run a post corner and right before we break the huddle, because we weren't in no huddle uh, form yet. Jim goes, BB, if he's pressed on you, just go deep. I'm throwing it to you. And I was like, oh, my gosh, here we go, right? I'm running up the line of scrimmage, and I say, oh, God, just don't press me. Don't press me. I mean, I'm scared to death, guys. I'll be honest with you. And sure enough, Dishman comes up. He's still talking trash. He goes, come on, man. I want to see some of this stuff. Well, he he did. And I beat him for a 63-yard touchdown. And um, it was, so the first pass to ever go my way. What a way to break into the National Football League. I honestly can say this: when I'm running down the side or sideline, you watch, and I turn and look. It got it got lost in the dome lights because Jim used to throw a really high ball, like a punt, and it got lost in the dome lights. And I just kind of stuck my right hand out there and it just stuck there. If I do that same play, I'm telling you, I'm, I don't catch it nine out of ten times. But for this reason, I scored a touchdown. And the most funny part about the whole story was, I get to the bench and I'm I'm emotional. I know my family's watching this. I mean, what a way to break in! I'm I can't even control the emotions going on. The next time on the field, so the next series, it's another run play. I'm running up the line of scrimmage, and Dishman gets up my face again like this, and he backs up about eight steps. He said, "Dang, white boy can run." <laughs> uh, and then you know, for the for us playing each other because we had many more games against each other, it was kind of a camaraderie. I mean, the the, the NFL is just one big fraternity we really are all kind of friends uh, and we just get along because we're all just playing a game we love to play. Well, as a man of faith, it was divine intervention, right? You, you stuck oh, yeah. your hand up there. You oh, made yeah. that catch and <laughs> that first catch of your career was for a touchdown. I mean, an incredible story. You went on, you, you wrote a book about it, Six Rings from Nowhere, yeah. uh, published back in 2012. What was the reception that you got from that book and, and what made you you know, put that book together. Obviously, a great career and a great story. So, yeah. uh, you know, who came to you and said, "Hey, this would be great in a book." Yeah. Well, a lot of people that were close to me, obviously, and they're always going to say, you know, I mean, of course, your mom's going to say, "Man, this should be a movie." I was like, yeah, "Okay, ma." Um, but then when I went to four with Buffalo, and then when I got to Green Bay, and and we won it, a lot of people, I mean, prominent people like uh, the governor, I mean, just you know, GMs and coaches are saying, man, you need to write a story on this, man. This is a, this is a story made for a movie. I was like, okay. So we contacted some people and um, in the first book, there was one book that was written more than a ring. And it was by a company that went bankrupt and it is kind of, you know, it is kind of flop, but the story was told. Uh, and then years later, I was, some people wanted to actually do the movie. Um, and I was like, my first call with these people, these producers, I was like, guys, I just want, I just want to throw this out there. I said, if this has anything to do with you making money and me making money, and I, I'm, I really have no interest. I said, but the, if this has everything to do with share the story that God gave me, I'm all in. I said, but I want final say. I want final say what's said in this movie. Cause I've seen so many times that, that people, and I don't want to name other movies, but they didn't turn out so good for, for what they were. And they weren't factual and they weren't truthful. And I wanted, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. So people said, let's write the book first. So we did. We did Six Rings from Nowhere. Um, and uh, and it's and it just shares my faith. The book is done very well. Um, I still do book signings and I'll go speak engagements and sign some books. And, and a lot of them I just give them away, too. Uh, but but we I still am working with the group in Nashville, believe this or not. Um, Dan Merrill is a is a great guy. He's been trying to get funding. Uh, he has the rights to really 
uh, produce the movie or a documentary or now, I mean, they got all these series out now doing something of an eight yeah. uh, series thing. Uh, um, so it still could come to fruition, to be honest with you, Mike. If it does, I just wanted to share, share the gospel. That's it. Well, I'm sure it would have a lot of success. And, and again, great message with it all the way around with you. And uh, again, impressed by what you've done since your playing days, as you said, high school coach. And for high school, take us through this because you, your brother was, what, the athletic director at the, the uh, high school. Your other brother was your defensive coordinator. How, how did that all work? Yeah, well, it was, I mean, we have a very close family now. So I'm not, I'm not going to go into the whole family thing, but we still take a fishing family uh, fishing trip with the five original kids and mom and dad. So the original seven, mom and dad are 85, 83, still alive, same house. Wow. The BB family now is 59. Uh, and everybody in that family lives within 20 minutes of each other, except my son and my daughter live in Nashville. Okay. They're the only ones. Everybody else, the other 56 or all 57 are still in this Aurora area. And this will be our 53rd year and nobody's ever missed. Okay, I've taken this fishing trip. So that's the family that I come from. Uh, quite, quite unique. So and after doing a house of speed for six years, I wanted I felt the calling to go coach and be on a personal level, more intimate level with uh, young kids and just help them out in their walk and whatever. And uh, I, that's why I went to Roar Christian. And uh, and I just felt a, a calling to go to Roar Christian. They had, like I said earlier, no field, no weight room, 17 kids. I mean, what was I getting myself into? Right. Um, and I told those kids the first day, I said, outside of building your faith, we're going to win a state title. Nobody in Aurora history until uh, up until that time had ever won a state title. And Aurora is the second largest city in Illinois outside of Chicago. And there's eight high schools. Um, and I might have I might have thought the impossible, but I've always thought the impossible uh, with God. There is no odds. And so I took the head job in 04. My brother, Dave, my youngest brother, Dave, uh, became the D coordinator. My other brother uh, became the athletic director. My two sisters are my athletic director's uh, assistants. So all five of the kids were in the same high school, it became BB University. So I had to get out of there. OK, I'm kidding. But no, after after doing 14 years, 10 as a head coach, uh, I switched roles with my brother. He became the head coach and I became the offensive coordinator so I could go watch my son play at NIU. Um, and then after that four years, I wanted to go see my son play when he started his career with the Minnesota Vikings. So I stepped down from the high school, took 18 off. And then in 19, I wanted to get back into uh, coaching again. And that's why I took the job at AU. Hey, you mentioned your son, Chad, a wide receiver with the Vikings. Yeah. It's got to be great to see a son play in the NFL, but the Vikings as a, as a former Packer, did you, <laughs> what was that like to go to Vikings games and, and root for the Vikings and your son? Yeah. I had the trifecta. I grew up a bear fan, yes. went to the Packers and then, and then my son played for Vikings. Yeah. That was, um, you know what? Blood is thicker. So I, I, I didn't have a hard time with it. Um, obviously, I'm going to root for my son. And if the Vikings aren't playing, I'm going to root for the Packers. But uh, but no, I mean, yeah, you know, my son's a whole nother story. I, you should have him on here, to be honest with you. Uh, you think my story's crazy. His is even his is even crazier. Um, you know, 11 of 12 years. Think about this for a second, Mike. Going back to his seven, his sophomore year in high school. He had 11 of 12 years where he had reconstructive or, or season-ending in, injury. Wow. And he really landed up having a you know an average high school career. I mean, he's a good high school career, but it was average because he was hurt every year. He never got to play a lot of reps and games. And then he goes to NIU because they saw him at a workout and they loved him. And he had really an average career at NIU because he was hurt every year. 
uh, I mean, broken shoulder, you know, broke, I think he broke his collarbone three times, his ankles, knees, I mean, stuff like this. Yet he still goes to a workout for the Minnesota Vikings. It wasn't because I knew anybody. I didn't know anybody with the Minnesota Vikings. The strength and conditioning coach at NIU knew somebody at the Vikings and said, you need to get this guy into camp. And so they brought him into camp. And think about this odds. He goes in there as the 12th man. And who's he beat out? Laquan Treadwell. Laquan Treadwell is the greatest wide receiver. You could argue the greatest wide receiver in Illinois history out of Crete Monique. Okay. And I know Illinois history. This guy was, was unbelievable. Goes to Southern Miss, breaks all the records of Southern Miss. You could argue the greatest wide out in Southern Miss history. First round pick of the Minnesota Vikings and Chad beats him out. I mean, come on, man. I mean, that doesn't happen. Uh, so again, just an, against all the odds, never giving up, getting punched in the gut, getting kicked to the mat, get yourself up. Tomorrow's another day mentality. That's my son. And, uh, and here he is still uh, trying to work his way on another roster, was with the Vikings for four years, was with the Texans in camp this past year, um, and trying to hook up with another team in the NFL. So I don't think his story's done yet. I really don't. Well, you're his dad, so you could see where he gets that from. Yeah. And certainly great drive and great inspiration that, that you provided him. Uh, I'm sure that that has kept him going strong. So we, we certainly wish him the best of luck in that. Yeah. Um, again, as you said right now, Aurora University, you're 31 and seven year career record so far. You're doing some great things there. How can people follow you, see what you're doing and 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 follow your team as you uh, move on here this year, getting ready, getting ready for another year coming up? Sure. Uh, the two best ways to, to you know, See what we're doing is obviously the Roar University football page. Uh, it's easy to find. Uh, DonBB.com uh, is the best way to get stuff as far as me, uh, where I'm speaking at, or or books or something of that nature. Um, so those are those are probably the two best avenues, Mike, uh, to get in touch with me. Um, and I love interacting with people. I really do. I just I just I think people are great. There's a lot of really good people out there, but there's a lot of hurting people out there too that just need a a sense of hope. And, uh, and I, if I can just do a small little thing of that, um, uh, I, I would do that. I'm on Cameo. I send out a lot of Cameos to people just wishing them well, and hopefully they're getting better, going through cancer, or just other situations. So I use that as an avenue to uh, help people out as well. So, Well, well that's great. I, I can see why you're a successful speaker, and again, on Cameo and everywhere else. And uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us, sharing your incredible story with us and, and, and some of the you know, again, the, the folks that affected you, but then in the, the same way, people that you're certainly having a great impression on and, and helping them and uh, wish you nothing but the best moving forward. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate it, Mike. And it was an honor to be on your show. Well, great stuff there from Don Beebe. We thank him for spending some time with us, sharing his journey with us, that Leon Lett story in that moment, such a big moment and affected so many people. We thank you for listening and watching to today's episode and remind you to subscribe as we'll have more great guests coming your way very soon. Again, we thank you for today. We'll see you next time for another edition of In the Front Row with Mike Vaccaro. Have a great day, everybody.